ever since I started playing or doing anything like playing sports or anything like that was imagining the entire scenario in my head before I did it. And I would do this for auditions. I would do this for lessons and I do it for shows. I do it for the album. I do, you know, whatever it is, I just, you know, the night before or in the morning, I take as much time as it is. And I just play it. I play it out in my mind. Welcome to episode 78 of the Bay Shed Podcast. My name is Ryan Roberts. LemurMusic.com, everything you need for the double bass. Stop by their website and enter the promo code THEBASSSHED, all one word, for 10% off of everything you need for the double bass. I could lift a bunch of stuff again. I could. I could. I could talk about bows. I could talk about rosin. I could talk about bow cases. I could talk about onyx wheels. I could talk about bags. I could talk about amps and etude books and and all this stuff. Double bass players, you know the gear. Stop by lemurmusic.com. Enter the promo code THEBASSSHED for 10% off. D. Lake and Basses. Uh, while I was recording this, Dan actually called me. <laughs> he called me back. Uh, so I picked up the phone and held it up to the mic, and here's Dan Lakin talking about it. Hey, Dan, how you doing? I'm recording this for the ad. I'm going to record our phone conversation. Oh, good. Well, yeah. all I want to do is say, you know, uh, just a real quick, you know, stop by Dan Lakin Bases. Uh, and also, I wanna, I'm going to start selling used, buy and sell used, pre-owned, if you will. <laughs> that that was not planned. That he just called me while I was in the middle of of doing the thing. D Lake and basses. Uh, I'm a big fan. I play a five string fretless. I play another one of his four string jazzes. Jazzes. I play a four string jazz bass of his. Play a four string jazz bass that is a D Lake and bass. I don't know the best way to say that. Uh, the five string fretless. I love. I currently have it strung up with a high C string, so it's tuned E through C. Uh, I brought that to a gig last week and folded pretty hard. <laughs> I'm still getting used to the C-string. Um, but love the bass. Love the bass. Stop by dlakenbasses.com. Finay.com. F-I-N-A-Y.com. It's a place where musicians can upload their recorded work and sell it. It is more lucrative than a streaming service. That is the aim of the company is to be very pro-artist, in the favor of the artist when selling recorded work, albums, singles, whatever you got. Head over to finay.com or stop by their booth at NAM. They will be by the Pioneer booth. You can also listen to episode 56 of the Bay Shed podcast to learn more. finay.com. On the episode is New York bassist Matt Aronoff. Matt Aronoff is a double bassist, a jazz double bassist, and has a new record coming out titled Morning Song. I got hip to him because his PR team reached out to me and um, asked me to do the interview. And before I said yes, before I said yes, I checked him out. I checked him out. I checked out his record and I, I checked out his website. I wanted to read a little bit more about him before I agreed to do it. There's some things on his uh, website that were interesting to me. And when I really, when I really sat and listened to the record, um, and this is kind of always my gauge when, when PR companies or management companies ask me to do interviews, uh, I always want to just sit with the record. And if I don't like the record or if I don't have questions, if the record doesn't ignite anything in me, uh, then I don't do the interview. But luckily, luckily, they, uh, the folks, the folks that do ask me to do interviews, uh, they always, like, they always are representing great artists 
and the, the music is always intriguing. And so that was the case with Matt. I checked out the record, loved the record. Uh, the record, again, titled Morning Song, is coming out June 3rd, and that is a digital release. Matt and I are going to talk about that. Uh, here's a little bit of press about uh, the, the record. Um, and these are some things we did not cover in the interview necessarily, or they just the conversation didn't go there. But I do think this is interesting information to understand kind of where he was coming from with the record and the material. Uh, the record is dedicated to his father. Aronoff began writing these compositions shortly after he learned of his father's cancer diagnosis. For uncertainty, from uncertainty, fear, and disappointment to acceptance, serenity, and joy, the composer's myriad of emotions can be heard on each track. Uh, so now this is a quote uh, from Matt about the album. I wanted to create a juxtaposition of peacefulness with unrest and jovial melodies up against unstable harmonies and structure. You can hear that. You can hear that. Matt and I do talk about uh, the compositional approach to this record. We discuss it more in a counterpoint um, way of talking about it. We don't necessarily talk about it in an emotional context. But uh, I think knowing that is interesting because it can be heard and that is communicated on his album. It's really, really interesting writing. Um, and there is all that, everything, everything that he was uh, hoping to create, you know, that he said in that quote there, that he wanted to create a juxtaposition of peacefulness with unrest and jovial melodies up against unstable harmonies. All that can be heard. Uh, it's, a, it's a brilliant record. And check it out. I will have links to it at thebayshed.com backslash podcast backslash Matt Aronoff. Uh, and here it is. Here's my talk with New York jazz bassist and band leader, Matt Aronoff. Uh, what country are you in right now? You're on the road? I am. Yeah. Uh, we, we just arrived in, in Switzerland. Okay. So um, today was a, one of those semi-gnarly travel days, but I, we don't have a show tonight, so... It's kind of nice. Nice. Um, Who are you on the road with? I'm out here with um, an artist named Sarah Gazarik. She's actually from LA. Maybe you know Man, her. I, uh, I used to teach across the hall from Sarah. Okay. At, yeah. uh, at a music store. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, super small music store up in Montrose called Grayson's okay. Toontown. She, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So She's it's great. Her and, She's great. Yeah. We've been playing together and i think now maybe five years or something like that okay um it's been nice yeah and so just with jonathan pinson on drums and oh, julian yeah. shore okay um, great but yeah so, i don't know julian uh, i know pinson Ju- sure yeah um uh, julian is a great pianist uh in new york um so we're kind of like half la half yeah, yeah. new york at Sweet. the moment how long yeah, is the cool. tour well um, I've been out here for about a week already. I was doing okay. something um, in Valencia with uh, Magda Gianniku. Do you know Banda Magda? Um, that sounds part familiar. Of, yeah, she's part of the ground up music family, you know, Snarky Puppy okay. and all those things. She was on the family dinner and she's uh, an amazing, amazing singer, composer, arranger, uh, accordionist. It's, oh, you know, wow. So. Yeah, so we kind of had a little thing in Valencia for a few days, um, 
she was head, she's heading up the program, the Berkeley program out there for a few okay. years. Yeah. And then, so then I met up with the Gazaric crew Yeah, and we get, we have about, I think 10 days and then okay. uh, back, back to this, hopefully back to the States. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the plan. <laughs> man, it's, we're all a little bit on edge with like the re-entry. Right. Be- because, you know, I don't know if you've been out to Europe since this whole thing, but. I haven't actually. I'm supposed to go um, at the end of June and. I have not been doing my due diligence of like staying, staying up on what everything's at, but yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, like I just kind of, I, I I think I like, I hope I'll hear something if it, if there's an issue. Yeah. I mean, you know, mainly what the issues that, that, that have been sort of like on the forefront are just, it's just re-entry just back to the U S like within Europe, you're totally fine. Nobody, it doesn't exist out here anymore. You right. Know? It's like no masks anywhere. People are just getting on with their lives or going about things in a very cavalier way, which is, you know, it's cool if that's, if you can live that way, but getting back to the States, you can't, you can't be that way. So you have to test in mm. order to get in, into the States. And then it could be as much a, as long as 10 days before, you oof, know, oof. that could get, ex- yeah. Oof, that could get, that could get crazy. Yeah, I could get crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, that 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 thing's been going around a little bit in LA. I have some friends on some tours. Um, that they haven't been affected, but people on their tour have. Uh, you know, and so yeah, I, you know, I have some friends in Michael Bublé's band, and there's a okay. trumpet player in Bublé's band that got it, and so he's sitting out some some run they were they were doing to Detroit, I think, last week. Okay. Uh, and then another friend of mine does some does some road work, not with a jazz artist though, but he's he's super nervous because he thinks he might be coming down with it and like doesn't want to affect all his road dates coming up. Yeah, it's it's still you know it's still scary. It's still yeah. like really affects um, freelance people of all kinds. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think everybody kind of, I mean, here in LA, I don't know what it was like in New York, but here in LA, everybody kind of had this almost out of sight, out of mind thing, you know, for the last few months, like, okay, it's over. Everything's been lifted. No mandates. Cool. Back, back to business. And then this, this new surge hit and it's like, Oh, all right. Oh, back to this. Uh, uh, How long you been in New York? Well, um, I grew up in New Jersey, okay. so I've kind of been in the area my whole life. Right. My, you know, my first teacher was John Weber. Um, okay. And I don't know if you know John. He's great. No. Uh, I mean, amazing um, bebop bass player. I mean, like, just so swinging, this guy is. Yeah. And he's also, he's also a phenomenal guitarist as well. Oh, really? And, yeah. Does he um, play electric so, too, or just like no. no, just super classic jazz and guitar? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of got like a West thing on guitar. Okay. And just like you know, Paul Chambers. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, through yeah. and through. I mean, he's he's ridiculous. He, so I kind of lucked into finding him when I was starting the instrument, and uh, and I would just go to his place in the city. I, I you know, I was like 15 minutes outside of New York and. 
So, um, and then when I was thinking about going to college, he's like, man, don't go to college. Just join my band. And we're good. <laughs> I <laughs> and, completely uh, <laughs> agree with that. I mean, so do I, but it's, yeah. it was challenging as like a 17 year old trying to convince my parents who are not musicians to be like, yeah, John says that I can just join his band and it's going to be cool. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. That's a hard sell to the folks. Like, no, I don't, I don't have to go to school. I'm just going to be in a band instead and yeah. everything will work out. Yeah. So yeah. that I was not, I did not have the conviction conviction at the time to like really to, to do that. So I ended up going to school and leaving New York okay. for, for four years or maybe five years or six years, whatever it was, because I spent, you know, I studied in Pittsburgh um, and then moved to Spain for a little bit and studied in Spain. Okay. And then, um, came back this, to the States. Were you studying jazz or classical in Pittsburgh and Spain? Well, in Pittsburgh, I was studying both classical okay. and, and jazz. I was, um, I was studying primarily classical based technique. Sure. Um, and, and then I was, um, Eric Kloss's, you know, TA. I don't mm -hmm. know if you know, Eric, Eric Kloss, um, is a really amazing saxophonist, um, okay. from Pittsburgh. He's a blind saxophonist and oh, wow. has, has been since he was maybe three or four or something like that. It, it was later on in life when he became blind. Um, wow. and I mean, he's, he was a phenomenal musician. And so sure. as when I was his TA, what it, it meant was I would just go pick him up from school, from his house, drive him to school, you know, and he would play me all of these, you know, bootleg tapes that he had from, you know, because he, he's at the, at the moment, he's probably, I would say he's probably 70. So at okay. the time he was maybe, maybe 50. Um, and so it's like him playing with Dijonette oh, and wow. with Pat Martino and Dave Holland. Wow. And like, you know, it, it's like some really heavy shit. And like, yeah. um, and, it, and so we would do that, you know, take the trip twice a week. And then I would just hang out in the classroom with him and I would just accompany him, whatever the class was. So if it was okay. a training class, I would do that with him. And if it was, you know, an improv class, I'd do that. And so that was sort of my jazz like education in Pittsburgh. Right. You know, I would also, I would also go to like, there was, there's a great session in, in Pittsburgh that was led by Roger Humphreys and probably mm -hmm. still is going on, you know? Okay. Um, but, and Dwayne Dolphin was there and, and, and learned a lot from that scene, but, you know, so that was sort of the Pittsburgh connection. Um, yeah. And then, but I was sort of on a classical path. Okay. So um, I found this guy, in Spain, that was a he was a um, a student of my teacher in Pittsburgh. Um, and my teacher was this, uh, uh, Anthony Bianco, who was sort of um, at the time I think he was probably eighty three years old. Oh wow! You know, had the knowledge, the classical knowledge. I mean, he played under Toscanini, he played under wow. Reiner. Like he was like. Okay. He's had, you know, he was in the Pittsburgh Symphony probably for 45 years, something like that. You know? At that age, was he still playing or was he just an educator? He, at that age, he was still playing. Really? I mean, like he sort of, he sort of had, uh, I think while, during the four years that I was there, I think, you know, he, they kept moving him further down in the section, mm -hmm. you know, because there were so many young, great players. Of course. But they still wanted, they wanted to have him in the section, you know. Yeah, yeah. So he was still playing. Um, but 
But that was also one of the main reasons why I wanted to study with one of his students uh, um, who I, because I wanted, I, I just, you needed to hear, I didn't know what the sound production could be like on the instrument. He could never really show that to me. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, there's something about a younger teacher just to get that, mm -hmm. to, see, to hear how you can really play you know, right. some of these excerpts or the, the, you know, the, the solo pieces or stuff like that. So, um, where, yeah. So I just kind of found this guy, Fernan uh, Francisco Fernandez okay. in Pamplona. And I mean, it was crazy. He just, I, I arrived and he basically gave me an apartment in the city. I know in the middle of Pan this is like, it's a generosity that, I don't see. Uh, it <laughs> no, blows my mind. No, no I mean, I like I did just. And I think anywhere in America, that's uh, pretty. I mean, that's not a thing. Yeah, this is something that you know, and it's. I've always tried to remember this and try to be. I think there. I mean, there is sort of a, a, a you know, a brotherhood, a family. I, I don't want. There's a better word of brotherhood now, mm -hmm. you know, but like a family that happens with bass players, like community, sure. you know, yeah. that you just want to give, you want to share. There's like an understanding. And I think this is part of it, you know, but yeah, he gave me the apartment that had three upright bases in the apartment. It was like a what? two bedroom apartment. And he would come over every other day or so. And he would just give me lessons and it would just like, we would play etudes together and then like go work on his farm a little bit or whatever. And this was, you know, for a year pretty much. Hmm. And it was amazing. It was, yeah. you know, one of the, it was, I, and so that kind of brought me to like in the classical world, I auditioned for the orchestra out there. Um, that was my first and last classical audition <laughs> <laughs> because it was, I mean, at that, it, it was, yeah, just like the stress of it and, and, um, went pretty well, you know, like I, I couldn't have asked for a better audition. Okay. Um, but I didn't win it. Yeah. Um, and at that point it was just like, okay, well, how did I get to this place? How did I yeah. get to like playing a classical audition in Spain? And, and where, so I, um, where were you at internally during this? Like when you're going out on the, the classical audition and you're in Spain, uh, how did you feel about this? Did this kind of uh, appease the inner artist within you of like, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing what mm -hmm. I want to be doing. This is, this is your dream come true. This is, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm here. Or is it like, all right, I'll go check out the audition. Like, did it really make you come alive? The idea of being a classical bass player or in Spain or, or in general, like, did that really kind of scratch the itch for you? Um, I think that if I'm, if I mean, it was a long time ago, so I, mm -hmm. I I'm going to have to imagine some things here, but I don't think that, I was thinking about being an artist or the, having the creative itch. I think really at that moment, I was like, I just want to be able to play the bass right. in, to, in tune. And, yeah. like, and in people time. give me money for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, and like, and I, and there, it was sort of thrilling for sure to like mm -hmm. get into these classical pieces and play yeah. them. Um, but it was never why I picked up the instrument to begin with. Like I, I really, I mean, I picked up the instrument because of Mingus. Like I heard oh. Charles Mingus, like in yeah. New Jersey, there's, there was a radio station that would play for every like jazz greats birthday. They would okay. play for 24 hours. They would play that person's uh, I like music. That. 
I like that. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And so I heard him and I, was like, and I just like immediately fell in love with the upright sound. And so that was, if anything, it was just sort of a wake up call when I, after that audition, just being like, this was not the path that I ever saw for myself. Sure. Um, and, and I, I mean, I was always playing jazz, even in Spain, like I would be like the only jazz bass player in Pamplona, but I was doing it. Um, yeah. And then came back to the States and sort of, and sort of refocused my mind on, on that and ended up um, deciding to go to grad school at okay. Manhattan School of Music. Um, what years were you at there? I was there. I dropped out in the middle. Yeah. Um, I think so. I think I graduated in 2006. And okay. I think I, I think I started maybe in 2003. I went 2003, 2004, dropped out and then came back. Okay. Um, and yeah, so that was sort of the time. Do you know some people that were there? Around I, that I, we time, could but... probably go down a list of names that of people yeah, yeah. who might have been out there. Um, off the top of my head, a couple piano players: uh, Matt Politano, Max Hamer, who's on the road with Arturo Sandoval now. Yeah, I know Max, but I know Max through Sarah actually. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a bass player named Chris Finney was out there, I think, just after you. He was okay. doing the classical thing, studying with Oren. Um, oh, I might have known him. I just not known his last name because we were all in that same hallway. There's a one hallway with all the bass players. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, I went out there. This was probably 07. Like, I went out to New York and stayed with that that bass player, Chris Finney. Uh, we, went okay. to, we went to Manhattan School, and then we went to the jam at International House. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We stopped by the yeah. jam there. Um, there's some other people. I think. What was his name? I'm blanking on his name. Something Silverstein. He's been on the podcast too. Oh, G- Jamie Silverstein. Jamie, yeah. Jamie. left-handed yeah, yeah. player. Yeah, we were uh, there at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who else might have been there? Phil Dzak. Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, Phil. We know Phil. Yeah. So there's a handful of people I know, but yeah. I don't remember all exactly when they were there. Yeah. 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 So I, you know, basically went, went there and, 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 um, and it was funny because like in the, um, in the year that I took off from the school and this was, it was, well, it doesn't matter, but you know, in that year, um, when I came back, one of the bass players that I knew from before, he's like, listen, I, um, you know, the only advice I can give you is take, get yourself into Luciana Souza's vocal combo class. He's like, mm. he's like, she is amazing. Like you're going to learn so much like this is. And so basically because of, I just had, I, I, I was able to sort of negotiate some of the terms upon coming back to school, <laughs> with, you know, without without going into too many details yeah, so that's another type of re-entry um, that got yeah. a little sketchy was that <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah there was yeah um off off air i'll, I'll give you this okay yeah, yeah but yeah. uh yeah, the, yeah. <clears throat> but um but but yeah i just said i want no i, I want to be in her combo and okay. so i was and it was phenomenal i mean I learned so much being in that class and 
and then like right out of that she she hired me for her band okay and so i graduated and and did like a, her last year before she had her baby you know for some reason scott collie was unavailable for that and i and i was just in the right place at the right time and got to do great a lot of work with her with her for that year and, and sort of introduced me to a bunch of uh you know then i got to after her got to to work with peter eldridge and record a bunch with him and and just a whole slew of phenomenal singers in new york which has been definitely a big part of my life okay which i really love yeah. yeah um uh do you do you do you really like playing with singers i do yeah i do i think yeah. you can go either way uh, I don't I think, it, yeah, I, you know, like I, for me, 100% depends on the singer. I mean, and I'm sure you'd yeah. agree with that. It just, and that's goes with any instrument, but yeah. Um, yeah. If they really know how to sell the tune, then it's so fun, you know, oh, but yeah. if, if they're just kind of like getting through a tune so they can do some kind of solo thing on it, then it's not as fun. But when they really get into a tune, like really get into a tune and the lyrics of a tune and are looking to convey that song as it was meant, that's the best. Yeah. 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 I mean, 100 yeah, percent. I mean, <laughs> I, like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there, if I could compare a bad saxophonist to a bad singer. I think that if you're if you're playing with somebody that it's just not happening. It's not happening regardless of I agree. the thing, Yeah, you know? Right. Um, but there is something, I mean, really vulnerable about being a singer, yeah. putting yourself out there on stage. And I don't know if you've ever like sung or led a band that way, but it's man, it is like, I was is, just talking about that actually on the last episode. Uh, like I'm, I'm getting ready to put together some tour dates for a record I have coming out later this year. And like the idea of being a front man freaks me out. And like, I, yeah. it's, it's a, just a jazz, you know, who knows what it'll all go on the road with. Maybe a trio, maybe a quartet, but at best, like it's a jazz quartet. It's not like I have right. to be Bono. It's not like I have to be like a front man, front man. I just have to talk yeah. a little bit between songs. And that idea freaks me out. Oh yeah. I mean, I've gotten to some real squirrely places just talking. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> like ha having a conversation with one, you know, one one on one is you can most of the time read what's going on. But then sometimes sure. you're in front of you're in front of an audience and you're like, oh, this anecdote that I thought was kind of that I normally would go over well is just like dying. And now yeah. I seem like an insane person. You know? <laughs> you're bombing. Uh, you're bombing as a friend. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, uh, what I, you know, ends up happening is you just introduce the band one more time because yeah. you're like, oh, that will, that will get me out of any situation. Yeah. That's the, that's yeah. the safety net. Yeah. How does that so, affect, <clears throat> excuse me, how does that affect the music after like, let's say you bomb, you know, you're feeling really uncomfortable or you're not getting this feedback while you're talking and engaging with the, with the crowd. How does that affect your playing? Are you super inside your head or can you shed that real quick and kind of get out of your head? and get out of that feeling to go back to just really being in the music or does it, does that come into the tune a little bit and it takes you a minute to settle down from it? I think the, I can settle down pretty quickly. Okay. Like I think that I, I, I can very easily separate from what, like something that just happened. And then if, you know, if I'll take a minute, yeah, you know, 
recollect i'm okay with the space i'm okay with the silence in between you know if that did if i'm okay with that feeling and then making sure that i'm in the right place i think to then count the band in start the song start the song off or whatever it is and um yeah I mean, I'll get in my head about other things, of course. you know, in the middle of the song. There's or, no shortage you know. of things to get in your head about. There's like, yeah. there's, there's always <laughs> something you're navigating. <laughs> yeah. There's that, that's, that's a constant struggle yeah. or not constant struggle, but it, it, it can happen, you know? Um, and I think that, but usually the talking part, I don't pay much attention to after it's it's happened you know do you, so do you yeah. do you like go into a concert and you have anecdotes prepared like okay when i introduce this song i kind of slip in this this cute little story or talk about the Gosh. history or just like hey i'm matt i got a bass now we're gonna do some stuff um i think a little bit of both i don't okay. i mean i think i i certainly have not gone the route of like really preparing anything which yeah. by the way is there's nothing wrong with that and no. i think that like you know having putting on a show and being able to like really entertain sure. is, is, a, is a great skill um i think that like when i imagine having a show if i'm i'm like listen i this is something that that i've been doing ever since i started playing or doing anything like playing sports or anything like that was imagining the entire scenario in my head before I did it. And I would do this for auditions. I would mm. do this for lessons and I do it for shows. I do it for the album. I do, you know, whatever it is. I just, you know, the night before or in the morning, I take as much time as it is. And I just play it. I play it out in my mind, you know, okay. like how, how this is going to go into this. I mean, obviously you're not playing on all the details. I'm just thinking about, the songs and how they're starting, how they're ending. And then I, so I will have an idea of like, Oh, okay. I'm going to have a minute to talk about this song um, right. in between there. Like, what are, what, so yeah. Is this just kind of the think through the process or does it get into uh, for you almost like a, a manifestation exercise where you're kind of manifesting this vision that you have or just thinking through it so you can, wrap your head around some loose ends i think at least two of those things if i don't okay. know if there was a third one but yeah. definitely <laughs> okay <laughs> i don't know either <laughs> <laughs> but definitely wrapping up loose ends or like trying to make sure that everything has a good arc to it mm-hmm. and making sure that if i were what i would feel like if i were sitting in the audience what sure. what you know what i would want to hear what like that's all I can really kind of imagine. And then the other part is a manifestation for lack of a better word, but it was like, I I remember growing up playing basketball and, um, and this study that was like, this probably is not even true. I just, I had heard about it. Whereas like they had three teams, one team didn't practice at all. Mm -hmm one team only practiced and then the third team imagined practicing and practiced, you know, Mm. did a little bit. Right. right? And the third team, the one that was imagining it, imagine doing free throws, imagining like really visualizing whatever word you want to use was the most, was consistently the most successful team. There there is Um, something to that, man. Like I've done that 
when like I know I have a bunch of material to play like the next day, you know, and it's it's all so close. You know, like you learn a bunch of material and there's like just these little things that separate each tune. Like, oh, man, there's so many details to keep straight. So many details. And if you just I'll just like I mean, I'll I'll practice it on the bass, but then step away from the bass and just kind of think through the tunes and think through playing the tunes. And regularly, if I go through that process, uh, there's more retention of the material. It's a it's a strong tool. That I, yeah. I completely subscribe to. Yeah. 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 That, that's, I, that's great. Uh, and this actually kind of leads me to uh, visualizing this arc. Kind of leads me to your record because I hear that within each tune. There's like a really beautiful arc within each tune on your record. Um, Thanks. Before we talk about the song specifically as a composer, what influence did Mingus have on you as a composer? Was there a conscious influence I, where you'll go back and like check out what he's doing and kind of deconstruct some of his material? You know, I don't think there was anything conscious. I think okay. I I think that I've I've learned a bunch of his music, so it it, it is definitely seeped yeah. in on sure. that level. Um, and there is uh, there's something that's so strong about his counterpoint which I think is definitely something that I think about. And probably a lot of bass players are constantly thinking about, I imagine um, that I've always loved um, and, and try to at least incorporate a little bit of that into the way that I'm hearing melodies versus bass lines. There's and a, harmonies. Yeah. There's a track yeah. four on your album. Forgive me if I butcher the title. Hogman. Hogman. No, yeah. Okay. Hodgman. Hodgman. Okay. Um, I definitely, that was the first thing I was aware of on that tune was the counterpoint and kind of the interplay between what I'm hearing melodically and this bass pattern, idea or motive, whatever, uh, that you're playing. And that shifts. It almost felt like the structure of the tune and I guess I, I didn't want to get into tune by tune. Now I'm taking a deep dive on this track, but no, it's okay. Um, that one almost felt like kind of modular in the sense of like, there's these, not just sections like you would have in a standard, like an AABA or something, but this one had definite shifts um, sectionally. Talk about the layout or the compositional layout of that tune. This is track four on your record for everybody. Yeah. Uh, who hasn't checked out the record yet. Yeah, I mean, and if you haven't, well, actually, it depends on when this comes out. Actually, I was going to say because yeah. it hasn't come out yet. So yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what date is it? Hold on. So actually, while we're talking about this, so the record comes out June third, which is actually I'm going to pull this up. Well, it's what day of? When is that? It's a Friday. That's, that's a, a Friday? Friday. Yeah, that is not next Friday, but the Friday after. So this, yeah. this will probably come out. This conversation will come out on the 25th. So the following week will be when they can hear your album. Um, yeah. Let's plug well, that real God. quick while we're talking yeah. about that. That will be uh, – <laughs> where will that be? On all the digital places? Yeah, all the digital places, Bandcamp. Um, only digital release, actually. Yeah. You know, I will have – I mean, I have, I have a few physical copies that I'll sell at shows and stuff like that, but pretty much Bandcamp, Spotify, 
and you know, you can go to my website and, you know, be able to find it. If you just type in my name, I'm sure um, somehow it'll pop up. What was, we'll come back to the, the track and the counterpoint in a yeah. second. What was the yeah. decision to do just a digital release? Um, Besides being was, like a lot less to think about, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, yeah. like it's a lot to yeah. think about and pull together and, uh, and it's, it gets expensive really quick. Yeah. Especially it, if you're going to do the vinyl thing and, and all that. Yeah. I think uh, part of the decision was what had to do with that was mm-hmm. just like, this is um, I wanted to put it out yeah. and I wanted to get it into the world. And I kind of wanted to get, it was, we were thinking I was, it was supposed to be out in 2020, right? Okay. That's when I was orig- originally going to put it out. Um, and then due to the pandemic, it just took a backseat. Right. Sure. And it took a big backseat. And so I just put it on the back burner. I didn't think about it for a year and a half. And, and it was already recorded? Already. Yeah, I recorded in 2018. Okay. You know, uh, so this was, I'll just back up a little bit if mm-hmm. you're interested. But I, um, I used to co lead a jam session in Brooklyn for five years. Okay. It, it used to be called used to be called the, the soda session and then it transformed into the nest session. Okay. And so this great guitarist, actually, you might know him, Perry Smith. He's an LA guy for a while. Right. Uh, I know the, uh, the other US. guys. Yeah. I know the yeah. other dudes in that. Yeah. 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 Brahman story. Yeah, yeah. 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 They're both good friends of mine. Okay. Sweet dudes. Um, so, and I think I probably hooked up with Perry through John's story. Okay. Um, but, but, um, anyhow, we led the session for about five years and when we were handing, and it was a great session. It was a very welcoming session. It was something that we really wanted to have a place where people could come and, and feel comfortable mm-hmm. and not feel like, yeah. yeah I like that vibed. Been, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and also that, and we wanted to sort of, yeah, make it, I know this sounds stupid, but just like as musical as possible. I know sure. jam sessions can be so challenging to really yeah. make music with, with like strangers in the moment. And I personally, I've never been somebody that went to a jam session. I like, I'm somewhat of a person that like that kind of situation. I get anxiety about it's like something I don't want to really put myself in that position. Um, well, especially as a bass player. I mean, if you walk in and you're not the house player then you're like you know hey man i'm ryan i'm gonna be playing you know whatever you know 50 courses of rhythm changes in a second you got to go adjust the end pain like quickly check out the bass like where everything's at how it feels how it responds it's a pain yeah and then you got a room full of musicians that are going to judge you for not even playing your own instrument yeah yeah it's it's awful it's awful it's a it's a a traumatizing experience is what it is oh yeah. yeah and uh yeah. So, um, but this, so we, we really tried to, to, and it was great. We, you know, every week we would have a special guest in the house set, you know, okay. and, and so basically like anybody that you could think of that lives in New York and actually in LA would be a special guest at some point, you know, okay. like, you know, and it, it was either, it would usually be two people like a drummer and horn player, 
keys player, you know. Oh, I see. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So it was so like, really you and Perry that were the constants, and then there was always a revolving cast after that. Exactly. Okay. And we would try to get like you know big name people in to sort of have like and and totally different like you know we'd have Jonathan Finlayson, we'd have Donnie McCas and Gilad, oh. you know, like Ari Hohn. It would be like just like a whole slew of Dan Weiss, like people that oh, wow. you wouldn't necessarily mix together. And we would just like see what happens. And, and cool. it was really, it was, it was a lot of fun and, and a great learning experience. And, um, and, you know, so when, when we, when I knew that we were going to end that thing, I was like, I kind of wanted to do a live recording at the space to sort of as a culmination of those years there to sort of yeah, yeah. commemorate it whatever and so that's where this recording came from in 2018 okay. was when we stopped when we stopped that session and i was going to put it out in 2020 and then that happened and so yeah. anyhow we fast forward and um at europa records they suggested just a digital release okay and i was like yeah that makes sense uh yeah. it makes sense for obviously environmental reasons like i don't we you know and it makes sense financial reasons like yeah. let's see what the world is like with you know, just a digital release. And yeah. so we're going to, this is an experiment trying this out and seeing how yeah. it goes. That's yeah. cool. I like that. Cause I mean, I've talked to so many people about that have done records, you know, within the last few years and I'm, and I'm just like quizzing them all, you know, like, okay, man, yeah. if you did just a digital thing, like kind of what was your return on that versus the person who would print vinyl you know, uh, without like some download card inside. But then what about the guy who prints vinyl with the download code inside? And so I'm just asking everybody trying to gather all this information. And uh, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense for this is your debut record, correct? As a band leader? Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. And for like yeah. the debut record, which it's mine also like, okay, like nobody, nobody knows what they're getting into. There's no like fan base. No one's dying to hear this, exactly. you know, <laughs> so, yeah. like, why do I get to yeah. put all this, all this money behind it just to have a closet full of vinyl, you know, that's never going to yeah, get I mean, moved. Yeah. I mean, I put out, uh, I, that's that singer that I mentioned earlier, Peter Eldridge, mm -hmm. uh, he and I had a duo record together. Oh, cool. that we put out, you know, in 2014 or something like that. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so I had the experience of, 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 of having box fulls of CDs. Yeah. And also like, you know, I, I had, I had, um, an ex of mine who's a phenomenal musician. Amazing. You know, one of the best of the best and still our closet was filled with, you know, 15 boxes of cds it's like right. it's really no matter it, it's not a cd world anymore you know like no. you're buying these cd you're buying these cds and i mean you're creating them but who's buying them not many people are yeah so. i thought that like cds was you know that wasn't even on the my personal radar uh right just yeah, vinyl for you just vinyl only because like i'm yeah. super into vinyl right now like i'm yeah. yeah, like last night, it was part of my night of like going, like looking for a new turntable and like just nerding out on like every aspect of the turntable, you know, and why is this one $700 and this one's three? Like, what's the difference? Okay, like what are what are the variables I need to be aware of? And that's that's what I did last night. Uh, yeah, yeah getting super into it. Uh, you know, I understand then, that. like two preamps, like, oh man, a two preamp for the turntable would be sick. Let me check those out. And then I'm just, this, that's how I spent my night. 
Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I get that. So I would like, I like the idea of vinyl because I would purchase vinyl, but totally. Yeah. But they're also like expensive. I think it's like, you know, 2,500 for a, a box of a hundred or something, you know? So even if you sell them at 25 bucks a piece, you might break even, Right. Like, you might break a, even, yeah. you know? And yeah. Huh. Yeah. Uh, Cool. So back to back to composing. Yeah, yeah, uh, to no, that was my that was my uh, I sidetracked us. So yeah. talk about counterpoint. Have you formally oh, yeah. studied counterpoint? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, no, I mean, uh, yeah, I've spent some time studying it. Um, and, and I think most classical undergrad um, programs is it, you, you study four years of counterpoint and, or oh, at wow. least okay. maybe at least two. I don't know, but I, 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 I've done a lot of counterpoint studies. And, and so this is the way that I think most of the time when playing and when writing um, is it, it's definitely coming from that. Also, I'm not a great pianist too. So it's certainly like easier when I'm thinking two, three parts at a time instead of, you know, yeah. Um, like in, instead of trying to really play these, the, the entire chord that I'm thinking of and, um, and the melodies. So it does help to kind of be able to, to do those things. And, um, with that tune Hodgman, for example, that one, um, is quite strong. And I think in the counterpoint that you're talking about, and I do agree that it, it is modular, like mm -hmm. you were saying, um, it is, a rhythmic cycle that expands um, throughout the tune, and then will, and then it, and then as a repeat, then it does get into a repeating section of this rhythm, rhythmic cycle. But it's somewhat additive the mm -hmm. way that the that the rhythmic cycle works. Okay. And um, and yeah, I, I for me like um, it's also somewhat minimalistic. Like the bass line doesn't change that much but right. it changes just just incrementally as the tune progresses um and then also cons consistent with that as the, the tune progresses the harmony starts opening up as well it starts you know, yeah up. yeah that tune and um some other tunes on the record which i have a sheet of notes here somewhere uh but there's a, almost on every track on the record there's this element of like slow burn to all of mm. them. Like it's, yeah. you put it on and like Rhodes, you have Rhodes on the record, Fender Rhodes. And that's such yeah. a kind of soothing and relaxing sound. And it's like, okay, yeah. cool. Like this is going to be a chill record. Like, all right. Um, <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, and thank you for this, that it is not a hip hop jazz record. Uh, I don't <laughs> get into that thing that much. Um, but I'm like, okay, so this is kind of mellow, cool. You know, the first tune is the title track. First song on the record is Morning Song. That's the name of the record. And it's, it's chill, it's chill, it's chill. And then it's got some, it just like slowly develops. And each track really has a, a band sound. And it's not, the record isn't a blowing session, which I absolutely right. appreciate. It's not, yeah. um, you know, we've all heard those records where like, okay, the material isn't as important as the improvisation of the soloist individually. Yeah. You know, there's definitely right. those records throughout jazz history and 
contemporary artists are releasing records like that. This one was definitely a band sound and it felt like a band approach to communicating this music, which I really, really enjoyed because that, that was a breath of fresh air for people that listen to jazz regularly. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's definitely something that's in my mind. And, and even going back to Mingus, you know, his tunes are like that in a way. I mean, it, it, they are these, I mean, they're, to me, like, yeah, they're in a way like it's the whole entire song that is the song. It's not just the, you know, it's the melody and the, these like sometimes they're brief solos, but those solos are really kind of perfect for the song. And you can't, you know, you can't get them out of your head. And it's like these are the versions in a way. They're yeah. almost I, I'm, it's not a pop song, but it almost feels like that's it. That's yeah. that's it and and so when i'm it was like a legit composition not a lead sheet that everybody's gonna you know take a turn doing their thing on but it's a it's a it's a tune it's a piece of art it's a piece of music that uh yeah i agree with me yeah yeah. Yeah, so that i mean that's definitely part of the game plan with all of these songs is like is okay we this is the melody this is the harmony of this section mm-hmm. and then we like morning song for example that one is maybe the i don't know maybe the blues at the end of the album might be the most like inside uh, of a normal like kind of belonging but even that still i think is really um more i i, I mean I, I certainly appreciate you noticing that it is a band sound this is yeah. like this is what i wanted from them this is why i you know why this is the band because this is how they play with each other like i wanted it to be conversational sure. i wanted it to be you know the the lines between the melody and the solos to be blurred a bit and i wanted parts of the songs to be blurred like when you know when we're morphing into a next section yeah that also everything i wanted it to seem very seamless um yeah yeah. mission mission accomplished on that front um there's six <laughs> that, right. that it's uh it was great yeah. it was great um Thanks. because it doesn't yeah i don't i never felt like i'm listening to like i never list i never listened to a track on there that i could like write out a quick cheat sheet you know for the tune and be like all right we got 16 here bridge and i kind of went to minor and then back to to c section and now oh there's an interlude before the next soloist like a lot of those little tricks that happen um within jazz vocabulary i didn't hear which was great because i'm burnt out i'm burnt out on hearing them like anybody can play that yeah. that stuff, and it's cool. The playing is going to be uh. great, but when you when you encounter compositional devices so much, you get burnt out on it. You're like, I want to hear something yeah. new, and uh, yeah, your record's fantastic because I was it. It took me to a different place. Um, yeah, thank you, sir. Well, you. I'll, I'll get you a vinyl then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one, one single vinyl. Yeah, no, well, I want to print out a hundred just for you. Yeah, I think uh, the single vinyl, like that pressing, is probably going to cost two hundred. <laughs> that's right. Um, so there's six tunes yeah. on the record. Did you yeah. record more than six? No. Okay, you no. just did the six. That's just the six. We did okay. two sets. That night we did two sets, so I was able to at least pick you know a version uh which yeah yeah you know but that though we i went in with six 
and it came out, out with six. six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good. Good. Which, by the way, you know, like that. It was funny. It was a little bit of uh, somewhat of a high pressure scenario because going even going back to the band leading thing, right? Like, I'm not a big band leader. Like, I'm not not to say I'm not a big band leader, right, but right. I'm not. I don't do it. I, and I, certainly in 2018, I didn't do it often. So, and also this night was going. So we recorded, but then it was going to be the jam session afterwards. Right. Right. So you had a lot like, on your mind. Right. So we're well. setting up the whole room for recording. You know, we are, which I have to, you know, you have to kind of like change the bar to make sure that it's good for the recording, but sure. also, and then set up the, set up the drums, set up the roads. Right. Um, Jason Rigby, who's the saxophone player on, on the record, who is amazing. And yeah. I've been playing with him for 15 years. I love I love him as a human, as a player. If you don't know him, just go check out anything he's done. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, I, I don't know if you checked him out, obviously, with Mark Juliana. He does a lot with him, and his own records are, are great. But but anyhow, he couldn't make any of the rehearsals for the mm. band, for the, for the gig. Um, he's he's we, we had gigged before, and so he's played the music before, but the rest of us were able to kind of get together and play through it a couple times, I think. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe twice beforehand. Okay. Um, in the weeks before, but he was just too busy doing other things. He couldn't. So he drove up, I think, from Baltimore. He was teaching in Baltimore. He drove up that night, kind of like barely made downbeat. <laughs> you know? how, and then, how are you feeling about this? Like, we're like, were you like, he'll be here. It'll be cool. He can play. It's fine. Or are you also just kind of like, what the hell, dude? Like, what the hell? Like, I got a lot on my plate I I was, tonight. I don't need this level of stress now, too. I, I think I was more like, I know he'll be here. Okay. He, you know, like, he, he was sending me texts like, hey, I'm on my way. But, you know, like, yeah. I knew he was going to be there. I knew he was going to show up. But he just came in on fire, too. Right. Like, that, that was just the minute we started that first song. And that, the first song on the album was the first of, of all of us playing because, are they re- you know, it been. Are they on your album in the order that they were played? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's cool. It's yes. good to know yeah. actually that yeah. this is the this is the same experience we have as listeners that you guys had performing it. I like that. Yeah. Um, but like, he just came in on fire, and I just and it was everything that I wanted. Perfect. Was just happening, and like that was just like when we started playing, we and everything just felt good immediately. That was yeah. just like okay, this night's this night's gonna be cool. It's gonna yeah. be fine, you know. And then you know little things. Afterwards, like I remembered, I remembered after the after the second set that Henry, who is Henry Cole, who is the drummer on it, um, he he's such a sweet guy and really um, understated, like kind of quiet. He you know like on every gig in between sets, he's in the back just shedding. Okay, he's and that like, guy. Yeah, you know he's like he's. I mean, he's constantly practicing. He's, I mean, he's an inspiration just to be around. But like in the beginning of the set, he's like, you know, I, uh, I really like a third cymbal stand, you know, because we didn't have one. And I didn't remember until after the second set that he asked for it. And oh, I yeah. never got it for him. And he never had it. And he never complained and sounded killing anyhow. You know, it's like just those little things of like band leading, trying to compartmentalize all these things <clears> at sure. once that night that some, some were success and others, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a lot to it's, it's a lot of hats to wear. I remember when I did my record, like because of that thing, because like the leading 
I don't want to see the leading thing isn't part of my nature. Like, I feel like I can be good at it, but I'm not, I don't have the personality where I'm just going to come in and be like, all right, you, 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 you do this, you do this. Right. And like micromanage or give a ton of direction or, um, so I called people that I knew really, really well and have already played yeah. with, you know, and I think that's, common and and dudes that have played with each other a lot so i didn't have to do that like that that was my angle to sidestep it uh if there was Mm. anything specifically i heard cool but other than that like i know i know how they all play actually the one dude i had never met the bass clarinet guy on my album i had never met before but i wasn't worried Mm. about it um but cool was like just everybody do their thing if there's something i'm really picky about i'll chime in but I don't want to have to give direction. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, you know, I, I do think that as a band leader, you have, you have a scope of how you think and things you like to hear and, you know, but then you that runs the risk of everything having those characteristics to it. So everything's going to have this, you know, there's not going to be new ideas or new information interjected into this stuff. So the more I talk or the more I gave direction, I think that that was going to stifle it. So I kind of mm. just like do your thing. Like I trust you. That's yeah. why you're here. Go for it. Yeah. Unless it's yeah. awful, uh, which I know it won't be, you know. And even and if it is awful, then most likely even then you might not say anything. You just won't hire that person the next time. You just <laughs> right, like, right. Or you will maybe give them a second shot. Be like, you know what? They, they could have had an off night. That's not what I normally. But at a certain point, you, there's no notes that you can give to people about, right. you know about something you know it's just like okay this is just not the right direction that i'm going and but yeah but and i mean even just going back to the band leading and sideman thing i think that i'm sure yeah just like when you lead a couple times then it just makes you such a more empathic sideman side person i was gonna ask how did how did this process of really solidifying your own music and your voice within music as a composer, as a bass player, and you're getting ready to put this out into the world. How has that changed you and how you not consciously, but going through, it's a, it's a heavy thing to do a record and it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. Uh, how does it shape you when you show up to a gig now? Are you more confident? Does it change how you're a side man as in like more respectful or more catering? than you would normally be or, or bring a different aspect to it. We're like, you're bringing a different level of strength to the music. Yeah. I think that it, it's just made me a little bit more. Um, I think I've always sort of been patient um, mm-hmm. and compassionate, but like I will, I just, I think it made me just a little bit more aware of the stresses, the insane amount of stress that is involved with behind the scenes like anything anything i can do to help a band leader out i'm i'm there like even if it's helping somebody else out in the band it's like can i help can i help the drummer carry some gear can i like you know help the band leader carry a suitcase can what anything because the load of leading is just so tremendous agreed you have the you have the venue up your ass you have Mm -hmm. You know, are the are are they selling enough tickets? You're wondering, like, are people going to show up? Sure. Are you know, everything is on there. You know, and obviously, you know, if they've been doing it for decades, then they're used to it, and they they're probably cool with it. They might not need the help, but 
I think that. And then if they're a vocalist, in addition, I mean, I say that because I know you're out with Sarah right now and I do some Mm -hmm. like regional work with the singer, how that's affecting their voice. And then if if their voice isn't a hundred percent, then they get inside their head about their voice and they're freaking out a little bit, you know, like, oh man, like, I, I don't know, this isn't happening. Like I'm tired or I'm scratchy or this climate change is doing this thing. Um, yeah, the singers yeah. because their their instrument is their biology and their anatomy. You know, all those things affect them and their headspace yeah. in a different way. Uh, I also one go, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. no, no, no. Go no ahead. I was just I was just saying that I think that another thing that that it, that it made me recognize as well is actually we were just talking about people maybe not cutting it uh, yeah. something that didn't do what you what you wanted or whatever. I, it made me think about how I view the people that I've hired over the past, whatever, and how much like respect and love I have for them. And, and like how I'm never like, if they, let's say they did make a mistake or let's say they did something, I made a, a choice that I would never have made. Or like, a, I still, like, I don't judge them in any negative way. And so I kind of want to give that to my a little bit of that generosity to myself when I feel like I played like shit, mm. which happens, you know, at the end of a lot of gigs, I'm like, yeah. man, I, I, you know, like I should have done this. I could have done that better. But then I, for a moment, I'm like, well, you know, I, I try to put myself in the band leader's position and say, and listen to what they really are saying. Like, Oh, I, that was one of the, they had like some, that was like one of their best gigs ever or something like that. Right. Right. Um, even though I felt like shit and I'm like, all these, I'm like, okay, you know, it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to eat my emotions and, and, and let that be the real, like the takeaway from the gig or something like that. You know? Yeah. I mean, uh, but instead of suppressing it, it just, just to change the verbiage, because I do think that there's power in this verbiage, uh, instead of yeah. just suppressing it, you, you, what fundamentally or ultimately you're saying is you're, you're learning to show yourself grace. Instead exactly. of instead of stifling it and burying it and sweeping it under the rug and being like whatever if you didn't notice then I don't care that's not no, the no, takeaway no, no. Yeah, the no. takeaway no, is no, like no. the no. takeaway is showing yourself <laughs> it's some self care and so you're showing yourself some personal grace yeah like which I'm is much out there and, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm still gonna go home and work on the things that I feel of like course. I didn't you know I didn't nail or or but I'm also not like I you know there was certainly a time in my life where I would take it personally and I'd be like, you know, this person must hate me for, for, you know, playing this note here instead of there, whatever the, you know, you can think of or not hate, but, you know, and, and, and then realizing, no, that music was happening. Yeah. And one little thing here or there, that's just our own obsessive nature to like be, uh, you know, the best that we can be in every given moment. Sure. yeah. 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 That's the, that's the goal. Um, knowing yeah. that this was recorded live at the, at the yeah. club, how did you record it? Because you have a very interesting, uh, on the record, that's the only time I've heard you play. So I'm sure yeah. this sound is the same live also, but it's a really, really interesting bass sound. So I listened to the record mm. with headphones and it sounds like there's kind of a, a mid scoop, in like the, that's a really punchy bass or a microphone or maybe both. Like there's a ton of punch and a ton of bottom end. Uh, but it also, it didn't, it didn't sound like there was just a smiley face, you know, in the EQ <laughs> uh, 
like everything's very well contoured in the bass sound. It's still very clear. It's clear across the instrument. Um, everything is detailed without hearing a really brittle high end, but it never mm. lacks in like this just roundness and punch too. Um, mm. Is that what kind of bass is it? Like, what's the bass, and how much of that is the bass? How much of that may have been added based on the room or the microphone or blah blah blah? Yeah. Um, well, first off, thanks. I appreciate yeah. you. Uh, all those uh, those things are what I look for in a bass sound, you mm-hmm. know, like the punch and direct like center yeah. of the note is something I definitely go for. But if I don't handle, then, um, wait, you might be frozen. We might be, are we frozen? Uh, disconnected. I can still oh, see you. It. Can you hear me? Oh, oh okay. okay. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. Um, so th- so I feel like that's definitely the sound that I try to produce playing. Right. And then anything as far as EQ and like my, I, I wish I was better at this, um, mm-hmm. but I couldn't really tell you what the engineer, there's a guy named great saxophonist who actually also plays from time to time in Boulay's band. This great guy named Matt Morantz, mm-hmm. um, who, who does a lot of live recording and he's actually got a, a bit of a studio in Brooklyn now too. Okay. Um, so he did, the engineering um and mixing of the record oh cool so and i was i was with him when we did it but i honestly i couldn't tell you what we did sure or what he what he did it was just sort of like we wanted to get the bass sounding you'd actually he he's a neighbor of mine or he was at the time so i remember actually before the gig going over to his apartment with my upright Mm -hmm. and um and just messing around with a bunch of different mic placements yeah, yeah. And, fig- and, a d- and a bunch of different mics. Sure. And, um, and so we kind of figured out where the sweet spot was on this bass and we tried our best to get it, but it, but it was, it was also challenging because the drums were right there. We had no baffles. Um, and yeah, so he kind of, I think he, I think he mic'd, the amp because i was using an amp so i think he mic'd the amp um and then he had we did one really interesting mic placement that was sort of a um a, a hack from sam manai you know the bass player sam manai oh wow yeah i haven't thought about it was he still playing with tigran i don't think he is okay but i yeah. met him briefly doing, right before he moved to new york yeah he's phenomenal bass player yeah. and he's also a really great engineer as well okay and so he and i he told me oh he 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 engineered i think the session a, re- a record that i did and um he, there's there's a, a sweet spot on the shoulder of every upright bass like mm. where where a lot of a lot of the high end actually comes out of okay so he so he'll he'll put a mic on top of that shoulder to grab a lot of that. So is this like so w- the mic facing the joint of the neck and the body, like around a D or E flat on the G string, or is it closer to no, the no. scroll? This is, this is like literally like on the shoulder of the instrument. Okay. If, you know, I, 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 after this, I'll send you a link because all the, I record, I video recorded everything too oh, from that sick. show. Sick. So I can, I can send you a link and you can see where the place of the microphone is but essentially it's not even 
it's like on the on the side of the base, like on wow. the shoulder. Like wow, yeah, okay. And I was thinking like so, the shoulder of the base, like where the joint is. But you're talking about your personal shoulder. No, I'm. I, I guess it's not. I mean, I mean, it's I'm past thinking, the joint. Okay. It's, yeah, the bout. Maybe it's like the upper bout. Maybe that's okay. a better word for it. Upper I see. Bout. What you're, okay. Yeah. Now I don't understand what you're at. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, the yeah, listeners yeah. might not have our. It looks like we're doing an air, air traffic control thing. Like I'm landing yeah, a yeah. 747 here on video. <laughs> uh, but yeah. yeah, cool. The upper bout. So interesting. Yeah. That's just like you get a harmonic pop there that really blows up the the high end of the bass. So that you, you get. It's almost like a really focused sound of the instrument. Like a really high, yeah, more of the high end that just jumps out. And, wow. and I guess if you, you kind of like have one of your friends play the bass or whatever, and you can kind of move your ear around and you'll be like, Oh yeah, that's a sweet spot where that it's all coming out of. Yeah. So I guess there, you know, so he likes that. So we tried to do that, but for live, it didn't work at all. I think sure. that Matt was like, we, that was just a wasted mic. It didn't, we didn't capture anything, but you'll see it on the video. Maybe okay. we got a little bit of, we may have gotten a little bit of high end from that, but right. anyhow, going back, the instrument that I play on is a Benjamin Patoka. It's like, it's a 1893 oh, wow. uh, check, check bass. It's a flatback. Bass. I, I mean, the, from what I have been told is that it was Miroslav's bass. Um, and then he sold it to Andy Gonzalez okay. and Andy Gonzalez had it for a while. And Kachow used to play on this bass, like when he was in New York. Dude. So Man, yeah, there's some, I mean, if even like a percentage of that is true, <laughs> there's right, some I serious know. juju on it. Like I remember when I bought the bass I have now, <laughs> uh, I think it was a line of shit, but he, he's like, man, this bass used to be Ron Carter's. This used to be, and I, and I play it. And it doesn't sound like anything that I have, you know, it yeah. doesn't sound like any of the albums I have with Ron on it. Like, really? Right. This is his bass? This doesn't... I don't... Okay. Um, yeah. You're like, I like this bass anyhow. You don't have to... Yeah, like, dude, you, know. you didn't have to go all the way there. Uh, or yeah. at least at least come up with somebody that's more believable. Right. Because uh, I, don't, I don't know if this one belonged to Ron. Like, Ray Drummond, yeah. I could see that. Um, yeah, so I've never got confirmation. I've tried to find, like, photos with Miroslav... And, and a base that possibly could be this base. Yeah. And I, I, it's hard. So yeah. I, I don't know, but the person I bought it from is a great bass player here in New York. And, okay. I, and I trust him. So maybe someday I'll find out the truth about it. But yeah. But yeah um, great it, sounding bass. It, it's, it's sort of like, it's, 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 it records really well. It's not like a super, super loud bass, mm -hmm. um, but it does have, it's got a lot of punch and clarity and, and, and so we were able to get a pretty decent bass sound. Um, everything considered live albums are hard with bass sound and especially in a scenario like that in a small stage. And, you know, I could definitely yeah. tell that you guys were playing together in the same room live, but it didn't oh, yeah. sound like a live album. If that oh, makes sense. Like it still yeah. sounded like you guys were all just in one big room in the studio. And I didn't really realize that it was a live thing, a live situation with a crowd until I heard the applause. And right. I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. This yeah. is, there's people there. Interesting. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't, that didn't dawn on me. I think um, yeah. it's a really great sonically it's a sonically sounding record uh, oh, i think it's, the mix is well i think the uh, the bass sits in the mix well you know there's yeah. no you know you run this competition of like 
the bass and the kick drum because jazz kick drums are tuned so high, you know, yeah. and then they're like that can get into a lot of a lot of the sonic real estate of where the bass lives. Um, I didn't hear any of that. It's a good sound of record. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, man. That means a lot. Uh, yeah. June 3rd, June 3rd, June 6th, June 6th, June June 3rd. Is June the re- 3rd. Are you talking about the release? Yeah. Yeah, release of June 3rd, and then, yeah. Yeah, and then it's out in the world. Are you going to do, uh, you putting together a little tour to support it or do some promo? I don't think I'm going to have, unfortunately, I, don't, I will do, I've got a release show on June 4th. Okay. Um, you know, in Brooklyn um, with most of the band. Henry is still in Puerto Rico, but um, Ross Peterson is playing drums, so I'm super excited about that. And Jason oh. Rigby and Yago Vasquez are still going to be there. And actually, Harish is going to do an opening set oh, by cool. himself, like a, a solo bass set, which I'm super excited to hear. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's one of my heroes. And and Ambrose's band, like with Harish, I mean, is certainly an inspiration and always has been, you know, um, compositionally and playing wise. Like, yeah. you know, that's something that i've never know. heard those two together like i've checked out ambrose stuff and i i've checked out harish but i've never uh checked them out together how long has well, harish uh, been in his band um for a long time i mean really so uh, yeah for like um I th- certainly three albums i can at least and it's still he still is touring with him um, maybe it was harish I, I heard on the ambrose record then yeah okay i bet it was yeah um, so, I mean, in that live, the live Vanguard record, that's Harish. And, okay. Um, yeah. Heart, um, glistening or, um, the, uh, the, I always forget his ti- the titles of his records, unfortunately. But that's because the, they're paragraphs. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to like, remember. I mean, I can like visualize what these records are. Yeah. And they I always have them. like two names and album names are the pretty extensive uh ambrose yeah. is amazing um yeah. but sometimes but yeah, it's a little too floaty for me like i gotta i gotta be in a mood to check him out mm. like i you know yeah. sometimes i just want to listen to Jimi hendrix yeah i feel you you know yeah. just like just drive this thing home <laughs> yeah. uh yeah. sick so where's what's the um where in brooklyn what's the venue uh, it's a, a venue called the Owl. Okay. Um, it's a great little club um, in Lefferts Gardens, and yeah, I, I've been a regular at that place for a very long time. And it's intimate room. Um, yeah, and I love playing there. And so uh, we're gonna do a quick show there on June fourth, and yeah, let's see what happens after that. Nice. Um, I'd love to tour with this band a bit but you know it's also it's it's challenging at the yeah. moment so we'll see what happens um yeah and did, see if we can get him get did, out on the road and do some stuff did did doing this record kind of there's something really addicting to the studio thing and not just as a side man you go and you cut a session okay cool but there's something about i for me being a leader and going in and doing a record there's all there's like this high associated with it. I'm like, mm. yeah, I just want to go back in. I just want to go back into the studio. I want to cut another record. I got an idea for another record. You know, like mm. I have the concept for it. I got I have, I have zero material. Like I haven't written anything. <laughs> but like I want to go back in. I want to go back in. That was so fun. Blah blah blah. Um, 
did did that happen to you where you kind of just like really got this itch to to do more and record more uh or have um, I, I some ideas you know do you like to well, communicate I think, artistically i think that uh i'm almost the exact opposite okay. of what you're describing and things that i have like i actually do have a lot of material that i am but i'm just i don't have that drive yet to mm. go back into the studio and and get it on yeah um get it get it down but i know i want to i'm going to give this record a little bit of time yeah and then and then i've got essentially like these two smaller suites that i'll probably do on another record oh that's um, cool that are kind of based off of uh, a movie one of them is based off of a, 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 like a this danish movie another one's based off of um a poem that I read and they're just like, they're, they're two small suites that I think might make a nice album. And so, but I'm, I'm definitely, I don't have that. Like, I really need to get in there and, and do it. I know a lot of people like you that have that. that, get that it's, but it's, uh, it's completely impulsive. It all is, is, is like, I want to feel like that again. So like yeah. doing this session gave me that payoff, like, great, whatever. I don't care what happens with the music or whatever we just yeah. recorded. Like I'm done with it. Like I want that high again. I want to, uh, yes. be a part of that thing it's it's destructive is what it is <laughs> yeah i think you know there are meetings for that i think there are yeah, meetings yeah, that you can go to for that kind of <laughs> <laughs> That was my talk with Matt Arnoff. I highly recommend checking out the album, Morning Song. It's a brilliant, it's a brilliant record. And don't let it fool you. You put it on, you have the roads, the upright bass. It's really relaxing. You know, like sonically, it's not an aggressive, um, the palette of sounds, so to speak. But don't, don't let that fool you where you just put it on in the background. Like sit and engage with this record. Uh, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. The record, I think, is just very understated sonically and how it's coming at you. But if you really sit and listen, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of good good stuff there. Uh, so check it out. Morning song by Matt Arnoff. If you are enjoying the Bay Shed podcast, please hit subscribe wherever you are listening to it. Uh, if you are at Nam. Uh, you know, look for me. I will be over, I'll be hanging out with the folks at Lemur. I will be over at the Finet booth. And I will just be wandering around seeing what's up this year and uh, seeing what Nam's like since they missed a year. Yeah, that's all I got for this one, folks. I will catch you on the next one in a minute.